Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hello and welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. My name is Jessica Windrill and I am your host. And today I am really excited to be speaking with Kaylee Alyssa and we are gonna dive into all things related to entrepreneurship in the yoga space, studentship and meditation practices to keep us grounded and present. So welcome Kaylee. Thank you so much. Yes, it's so awesome to connect with you and Oh my gosh, I have so many questions and so many things that I want to talk about. And I guess we'll just start with kind of what you're up to and the business that you're creating and crafting for yourself and how you kind of came to the evolution of your career where there's some uh, sustainability in what you're doing and your offerings as a teacher. I love that word, sustainability. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, I started teaching yoga uh, about 12 years ago. And I, from there, you know, it kind of progressed to this beautiful, amazing, very dynamic kind of cluster of things that I'm now involved in. And I, I didn't ever really see it going this direction, but the progression has been natural and effortless and just really lovely. Um, so I, I teach yoga, um, and that's something that I've always done. And I also now mentor, um, women mostly, but you know, anyone really who wants to be successful in the wellness community. And it doesn't have to be just in the realm of yoga. It could be, you know, as a, as a private chef or, you know, in anything in the wellness realm, but it's a way for me to combine my background in finance and business um, with my passion for wellness and, um, helping people in this realm realize that they don't have to be destitute and broke in Mm. order to, you know, be successful, that it's possible to have, to have both. And that's really important to me. Um, so the mentorship was kind of, um, born out of one specific woman coming to me and asking me to be her mentor. And I had never done that before. And so we kind of, figured it out as we went along. And then I've been opening up to others. And now I'm offering a, um, a small six month program for a cohort of about eight women who I'll be accepting. And that's actually my applications are going to be closed for that on the ninth. So in a couple days here. Oh, no, by the time this airs, you'll already have picked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is a bummer. But I'm going to be doing one every six months. Um, and then I'm also creating sort of a small, short and condensed version of that that will be on my website that's going to be just, you know, plug and play. So it will be no personal um, attention from me, but it will be a program that I've created that people can go and get for a much less price and, you know, have it be a little more plug and play, a little bit simplified version of the mentorship. Yeah, which is great, too. I mean, there are some people who really need that, just the quick and dirty. Okay, exactly. what can I get here? Exactly. Yeah. So I've really been loving this. It's been, you know, it's been feeding my soul on multiple levels. I get the business background, I get the the yoga and the wellness aspect, and I get to work one-on-one with helping individuals become successful in whatever realm that it is they're they're focusing on. Um, And then I also, I co-host a group called Women Catalysts here in LA, which is basically, um, it started off as a monthly speaker series up in San Francisco um, with the founders. And so they, um, they would find women who were entrepreneurs or community leaders and interview them. And, you know, we asked them how they got to where they are, what challenges they faced along the way, um, 
who helps them, what helps them, how do they continue to source creativity and inspiration. And, you know, now we have a whole digital platform. There are, you know, different workshops. Um, we have a whole money Matters series to help teach people about finance and making money and managing money. And, um, so that's a really fun project that I'm involved in as well that I, I enjoy immensely. (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, I just, uh, have been creating my own trainings, my own teacher trainings that I'll be launching probably in the next year um, as well. And that's about it. Yeah, that's all. (laughs) Just a smorgasbord of offerings. Um, You know, this is why I was so interested in speaking with you because I think it's really important as the yoga community continues to evolve and grow. I mean, there's more people than ever practicing yoga or who consider themselves to be practitioners of yoga. And of course, there's a lot of crossover now too with other wellness communities, just like you were talking about from a lot of things within the culinary aspects with raw food and veganism and plant-based diets and all that good stuff. Um, And then crystals and healing and alternative modalities for that. And there's just a lot of, um, a lot more people turning towards alternatives, I think, than what we've been offered in the past. And specifically for people who are creating careers in these spaces, um, the sky's kind of the limit. And I think there's a lot of things to kind of unpack here because I talk with my mom about this and she's like, Jess, I'm just always so impressed by what people your age and your friends and of course the millennials are doing. The types of careers that we have now are not the careers that were available to the baby boomers. Like, you know, the people my parents' age, they could be doctors or lawyers or, you know, go to college and be business people or teachers. And a lot of people in your and I community are creating our dream careers. And we are able to really intersect a lot of interests and put forth these offerings, put forth these programs. But... I think what a lot of people don't see is the hard work behind it. And so this is kind of the other part of the message is it's not like people are overnight successes. Well, most people. (laughs) And learning how to diversify your offerings in order to create a career that is going to last you, you know, for decades, hopefully. Mm -hmm. What have you learned along the way? Um, are there any hard knock lessons that you've learned about creating a career within the yoga and wellness communities? I mean, yeah, there's so many lessons. I think, I I think for me, the biggest thing was, you know, well, you know, I mentioned before I used to be in finance. I worked in private banking. I was a trust associate. And so I, I had an office job, a nine to five. I dealt with people who were excessively wealthy, had more money than they knew what to do with. And I was so very unhappy. I was making great money and, you know, saving for retirement. And I was married and I just, I had all my boxes checked, but I was so just grossly unhappy. And so the biggest lesson for me has been to just pursue happiness, just to pursue happiness in whatever realm that I'm involved in. And, you know, if that means leaving a marriage, if it means leaving a job, if it means shifting careers, if it means changing cities or studios or whatever, like just pursuing happiness. And when I started to do that, and when I stopped caring about 
what I was supposed to be doing or what I was, you know, programmed to think I was supposed to be doing that I became so much happier. And, and I now have this life that's like beyond anything I could have dreamed up. I didn't, you know, like I have this beautiful home in Venice Beach by the water. I get to travel to teach people meditation and yoga. And I get to mentor these amazing humans who want to be helping other people to change the world and themselves. And like, you know, I, I wake up sometimes and I'm just like, my, this is insane. Like, how did I get here? <laughs> and, it, and truly it's because I just have, I've pursued my own happiness. And when you're so passionately happy about something, you will succeed. And that's that, you know, if people come to yoga because they want to be an overnight phenomenon and a success and like famous on social media or whatever it is, it's not going to happen. If your heart is not in it and you're not so a hundred percent passionate about what you're doing, it's not going to happen. You know, and we see, we see that a lot, especially in LA. It's, you know, every single person in LA is, is a registered yoga teacher, <laughs> you know, but how many of them actually make it and, and how many of them don't and how many of them make it on social media, but aren't actually teachers or, you know, whatever it is. It's, oh. it's pursuing your happiness and your passion. Yeah. You have to have that, that fire in your belly and that spark in your heart to really stay the course. And yeah. That's been my experience as well. Um, my background is actually in law. So so I worked okay. in law offices okay. and worked for the government, the same nine to five retirement account, doing what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, yeah, miserable, same thing. And when I shifted into teaching yoga full time and then eventually starting my school and you know now I've been in Norway almost three years uh, running the Altman Yoga School. Oh my gosh, there are some days where I'm just hitting my head against the wall like this is so hard. <laughs> and then I get the reward of seeing the light go off in one of my students' eyes or hearing somebody say something like, oh my gosh, your class or this training really helped me through a tough time in my life. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, well, first of all, it's not really me or my class. It's the teachings of yoga. I'm just the catalyst. I'm just the vessel. But it's so deeply rewarding when you see people understanding and connecting to the message and the power of transformation that comes from a yoga practice. Yeah. And then I'm reminded, I'm like, oh yeah, even when I have those really hard days, you know, working for yourself is, can be rough sometimes. You're wearing every hat <laughs> in the business. And, um, but then, yeah, just having that passion, there's no other job I could have in the world. Like, this um, is it. This is my dream job. And it is so amazing. But it is also like, there are some days that are rough. And it's not the glossy, pretty pictures we see on social media that get us through the day to day. No, it's not. You know, and I, I think I noticed that with my, my mentees that come to me, these women that want to be, you know, successful on social media and making money through that, or, you know, yoga teachers teaching at festivals or whatever it is, like, they come to me with this idea that it's, you know, they start to work on it, they focus on it, and it will happen, like instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a byproduct of the time that we're in and the technology that we have available to us and, and other things as well. We're used to things happening on a much more rapid rate. But when it comes to being a yoga teacher or a wellness practitioner, or a wellness provider, you can't just immediately be successful in those areas. Like you have to let people know that you are respected and knowledgeable in whatever realm you're in, that you have wisdom, not just knowledge, but wisdom that you've applied to your teaching and to your practice and that you're, that you're a resource for them. Not that you're just this, you know, this kid with an overnight dream that wants to be famous, but like it takes time and it takes a lot of practice and a lot of commitment to it. And I think that 
you know, this is another lesson that I learned because sure, I want instant gratification. I, you know, I, I had my list of dreams that I wanted and I wanted them to happen now. And when something didn't happen right away, it's upsetting, but it's, you know, these things take time. And like, if you really want, truly want to be an expert in your field, well, then be an expert in your field, like walk the walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is too, when people see these successful careers or perceived successful careers, they're not seeing the 99 no's that came before the hundredth yes. <laughs> exactly. And that's something, you know, I talk about this in my teacher training programs and more specifically in my advanced trainings where we have a, a bigger focus on the business aspect. Um, Cause like you, I think it's really important. You have to be successful with operating a business before you even can be a strong, powerful teacher. If this is going to be your career, um, not just a hobby, like you teach two classes a week on top of your day job, but yeah, talking about even when the answer is not the answer you want, you don't give up and you stay with it and you keep that patience and you try again. And it's a really unsexy, unglamorous response to the realities of finding success in this business. Absolutely. hundred percent. Have you ever gotten a big no where you were just like heartbroken and then oh, maybe had like a comeback later where the answer was a yes? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, so here, this is kind of a funny one and it, it gives you a little picture into a past life of mine. That's slightly embarrassing, but whatever, it's who I am. <laughs> so <laughs> I, in college, I was a cheerleader for university of Oregon. And I, when I moved to San Francisco and I was working my day job, I had this dream that I would be a professional cheerleader and I auditioned for the Niners. And if you know anything about the, the professional cheerleading realm and the 49ers, it's a very competitive audition process. It's one of the best you know, teams to be a cheerleader for. They're very famous and not as famous as the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, but they're up there. Anyhow, this audition process is like a, you know, three or four day long thing. And at the end of each day, they make cuts. And this year it just so happened that all of the girls from the previous year were coming back. There were, there was nobody that they were losing. And so there were no really spots available unless you, you know, overshined one of the new girl or one of the, one of the older girls. Anyhow, I made it to the final day of auditions. I was like, you know, in my head, I'm like, I've got this. I'm totally going to be on the Niners. I'm going to be a cheerleader. And I didn't get it. And I was crushed. And <laughs> had, had I gotten that, I would have never, I would have never done my TT, my first yoga teacher training. It wouldn't have happened. I would have been busy with, you know, working full time and doing this cheerleading thing part time. But because I didn't get that, I walked into a yoga studio with an acquaintance and saw a sign for teacher training on the counter. And that's what I did with my evenings and weekends is I did my first 200 hour yoga training. And so, you know, it was like this big, massive, like I was crushed. I was so upset. And thank God I didn't get that, you know, cheerleading position. I, you know, I look back now and I'm like, wow, it is so funny. It's just, you know, it's funny how, how life works. And we use that universe called all the time, but it's true. The universe like had it, they, they knew what was best for me. And that's, that's what happened. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's always, you know, once enough time has passed where you're no longer as emotionally driven <laughs> by the outcome. And you're mm -hmm. like, Oh, just like you said, thank God, that didn't happen. And mm -hmm. thank God your path took you a different direction. Totally. Because yep. now there's a little bit more of that, that hindsight being like, Oh, now it all makes sense. Now the picture is a little bit clearer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it takes a few years to get there and see that sometimes, or, you know, sometimes it happens faster than others, but 
I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that big no. At the time, it was a very big no. And now I look back and I chuckle at it. But yeah. So with, I want to touch for a moment on kind of the business aspect of your mentoring program. What are some of the things that you really encourage your mentees to explore within setting up systems or how they operate a business within the yoga space? Like, do you have any words of advice or wisdom or experience? Yeah. So, you know, my, my mentorship program focuses on kind of three pillars. And the first pillar is the realities of business. And so this is where, you know, this is the stuff that people in the wellness industry don't like to focus on. Mm -hmm. So this includes things like, you know, filing for an LLC, managing your money, saving for retirement, doing quarterly taxes, all of those types of things. Um, And in general, this is a broad sweeping generalization, but whoever it is that is coming to me has absolutely no idea what they're doing with their money. They don't have a retirement account. They're not saving for anything and they're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and this is, this is a pretty typical case. As I find this often. Um, and so it's really exciting that I can start to you know, come in and give them a little, a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of guidance behind their finances and how they can make it more manageable and how they can start saving and setting themselves up for success as opposed to this life of uh, feeling like everything's in lack and mm-hmm. scarcity. You know, I want people to be abundant. I want them to be successful and I want them to also be, um, you know, helpful and good at what they do, but they need to, they need to have money in order to do that. Yeah, I agree. And I also think part of that, at least, I mean, the, the Norwegian yoga community is very, very different from the LA yoga community. Um, but so I'm, I'm not quite sure, you know, what your experience has been there, but in general, too, I've found, especially for people who are newer in the yoga and wellness communities, uh, newer with having offerings and, and trying to sell programs or get hired by a yoga studio, they're really afraid to charge with their worth. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's also a conversation that's really important in the yoga community right now because there's two camps. The first camp is, oh, yoga is a spiritual practice. You shouldn't charge any money for it. Like you're, it should be an act of service and of karma. And that's true in some cases. But then we have the second camp, which is the one that I fit in. And I imagine you probably do also. And this is, well, no, if you have the experience and the training and the education, you should be charging a decent and fair wage for your time, for your expertise. And I think with that, comes a little bit more of that confidence to successfully run the business side of mm-hmm. your yoga business. Because I think, and I've found that it's just, it's so overwhelming that a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, okay, I know I need to save my receipts. I'm just going to put them in a drawer and I'm not going to look at them until I finally put them in a bag and pretend I did something with them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, no, we can get a little more organized here. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's also two pronged. So it's not knowing your worth, but there's also a big problem in the wellness community of people doing things for free mm. because they, because they want an in somewhere or, you know, like for instance, I've been working with aloe yoga now for five years and I get to shoot their lookbooks with them and, you know, I get to teach master classes and do all these really awesome things. But, you know, I've been with them for a long time. I was one of the first ambassadors they brought on and I've been teaching for over 10 years. So like, you know, for me, this is, this is a part of my job and my career and my regular income, but there are thousands of girls who would do a lookbook shoot for free 
if Allo asked them to, just for the exposure. Oh, for sure. Probably hundreds of thousands of girls that would do it for free. So there's, this is a problem. Like not only do people not know their worth, but also people want, want a shoe in. They want an edge in somewhere because it is an oversaturated, well, at least in LA, my experience, it's oversaturated here in LA. Um, and so they do things for free and that, and then that shoots everyone else in the foot because we want to, we want to be creating almost this collective of wellness enthusiasts that are charging a standard rate for our, for our time and for our experience. And when you accept projects for free, it not only hurts yourself because you're showing your worth, but it also hurts everyone else in the community. Exactly. It's a big issue. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why I try to encourage people, you know, with the understanding that there are different degrees of what you can actually charge. Like if you're brand new out of a 200 hour TT, you're not going to be able to charge the same amount as you or I probably. And that's just the way it goes. Like there is a little bit of uh, a sliding scale, but that doesn't mean if you're fresh out of a 200 TT, you Oh man, I know of some studios in the States where they do these, um, what do they call them? Internships (laughs) where you teach for free at the studio. And I'm just, I'm like, oh my God. And they're, they're, they're waiting lists to do these internships. And I would see these teachers and they're so bright eyed and bushy tailed. I'm like, oh my God, I just want to teach. I don't even care. And I'm like, oh my gosh, not only are you injuring like your potential career, but you're hurting everybody else because it creates this churn and burn mentality. Like, okay, well, you don't want to do it. There's 10 more lined up who will. I've actually had that said to me by a manager of a company before. Um, If you don't do this, I've got 20 girls who will replace you. And that's when I said, goodbye. Call them. Call those girls. (laughs) Good for (laughs) you. you. Yeah. It's been said directly to my face. And it's sad, but it's true. It is. And I think that also comes back to what you said a little earlier, too, helping to bolster the confidence of people who are perhaps a little bit unsure of their worth in their chosen community and giving them, I hate using the term permission. Like I don't have the ability to give permission to another human, but Mm -hmm. creating um, a, a system or a experience that's supportive to encourage people who perhaps are newer to teaching yoga or meditation to have a little bit more of that self-worth and that confidence to negotiate a better pay if they don't think they're getting paid what they're worth or to have a difficult conversation, even if it's uncomfortable about money, because so many teachers are like, Oh, okay. This is what, this is just what they pay. I guess I'll live with it. It's like, no, you, it's a two way street. You can ask for more money. You can prove that you've done another training or you've gone to this workshop or you're have this side hustle or whatever it is. And you know, negotiate a little bit more, but I don't know, easier said than done. Right. Well, I I think that I think also, oh gosh, my dream, like it would, it'd be great to have some sort of like SAG thing for the yoga community, you know, like Mm. there's gotta be some sort of like standardization for the rates for wellness community, not just yoga, but for the rates that we're able, able to charge, you know? And when I came, like I was on the forefront of this whole social media thing. I was like, I somehow was there at the perfect time, the perfect place for, you know, when yoga and Instagram started to like blow up together. And while my following's not that large, I have a little over a hundred thousand comparatively to the other people that are in my realm that I started with that are now at three and four and five and, you know, crazy numbers. Um, it, it, it's so interesting because we had no clue what we were doing. We had no clue what to charge. And when companies came to us, they're like, yeah, what do you want for this? 
we'd throw out random numbers and see what stuck, you know? And, and now I have this community where I can refer to and I can call someone and say, you know, Hey, this company just reached out to me. I know you've worked with them in the past. Give me a ballpark range of, you know, what number I can use here. And that's helpful. You know, there's all these, there's all these algorithms online that companies use. Now they go online they look at your engagement and your numbers. And that's really, it's kind of bullshit. (laughs) You know, if you ask me, like, that's a very, very general way to look at, you know, what someone should be paid because you don't know their access to, um, like for me, for instance, you know, my access to my local community. I'm teaching three classes here a week at Allo. I do, you know, workshops all over the world. I teach for one or less festivals. My reach is huge beyond what's just showing on my social media account. Yeah. So it's hard to like throw someone in that bucket. So my dream would be, you know, if someone out there listening to this podcast could create (laughs) a union for wellness people, a union for the wellness industry so that we could have some sort of standardized way of being paid so that this epidemic of, you know, uh, people getting taken advantage of and, and their services getting used for free could stop. That would be amazing. Someone make that happen, please. Yeah, I mean, that would be the dream. But unfortunately, I think there are just too many too many teachers who are going to work for free or, or do whatever the work is for free. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's funny. Gosh, I haven't talked about this in a long time. But um, I actually worked for a few days as a fit model for Aloe in 2013 at a trade show. And they found me through a blog. I no longer have my blog. Sent me a message. Said, hey, do you want to come work at this trade show and be a fit model? And I was like, sure. And the pay they were offering was so much more <laughs> than I was making at the time that I was teaching yoga. I was like, are you kidding? I'll sub out every single one of my classes. I'll be there. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's it's pretty funny. Like I have a, a small connection with Aloe, but that's great. I, you know, I love hearing that they've gotten such like controversial rap in the past. Like there was the whole yeah. Kino thing last year and there's been so much going back and forth, but you know what? Like this company and my experience with them has been amazing. Like I would not be where I am today without them. And we grew together and I, you know, they found me for their second lookbook shoot before they blew up, before they were aloe. And I almost said no, because I had seen their stuff in San Francisco when I lived there and it was not cute. It was like matronly and baggy and they've come so far and I'm just so, I'm proud to be a part of that company. Like how they, how they pay and how they treat other yogis is phenomenal comparatively. So thank God someone's like, someone's stepping up and actually like paying yogis money, you know, giving them, giving them compensation for their work is, is pretty good. Yeah. I think that's great. And, you know, I have no connection with Aloe now, but I love their clothes. And I actually think I wear almost only Aloe because the quality is so good. <laughs> and when you're working really hard and you're doing a lot of asana or you're on the go, you need clothes that last. And, um, I was an ambassador for Lululemon for a few years. So I wore a bunch of their clothes for a long time and and still wear some Lulu, but Aloe is my favorite. Yeah, I love to hear that. <laughs> I mean, Lulu was great to me as well. You know, I was an ambassador with them when I first started out, and they were a fantastic, amazing company too. So um, I didn't get paid monetarily, but they did me a lot of, of support around projects that I was working on. So I appreciate them as well. Yeah, I think that's what we need to see more of is just instead of corporations cutting corners and nickel and diming their ambassadors or their spokespeople or whoever's working for them, even, if they can kind of set the tone and elevate compensation, I think that would go a long way towards people within the industry taking themselves and each other seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. But of course, it always comes down to the bottom dollar. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Money, money, money. Yes. 
So one of the reasons that I really wanted to talk to you too, Kaylee, was because, you know, you just, you made a comment a little earlier about how there are some people who get this overnight instant celebrity and they're the yoga celebrities on Instagram. And you made a comment. I just totally chuckled. You're like, they might not even be a teacher. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's such a pet peeve of mine. I mean, who can, I don't even know these people, but when somebody's like, oh, they're, you know, doing all these sponsorships and they have all these paid posts on Instagram and then they're like, oh, I'm going to teach my first public class and I'm so nervous. I'm like, really? But you're, <laughs> you're supposed to be a yoga expert. And just because you can make these bendy asana shapes, I get a little confused. But one of the <laughs> things that I think you do well and something that I strive really hard to do is... Um, prioritizing my studentship and making sure that I'm staying inspired, I'm staying grounded, and I'm staying rooted in the practice. And I try to do a training every year, um, whether that's in yoga or meditation or Ayurveda, something where I'm able to just fill myself back up before I dive into all the offerings that I do. Mm -hmm. And I think you do that. You do a lot of trainings also, right? I do. Yeah. It's, um, it, you know, I have to be learning. I have to be doing something. Otherwise, I just feel so stagnant. And I'm just, I feel like a little video recorder, you know, like a video recorder shouting propaganda at people. <laughs> I lived in South Korea and there was always these towers shouting like propaganda, North Korean propaganda all over the place. And that's what I feel like, a little parrot just chirping if I'm not learning something. Um, it's just like regurgitating information, you know. So I have to be inspired on some level and that's my learning for sure. Do you have any trainings that you're, you've got your eye on coming up? Um, for myself, not right now. I'm actually doing something that's not yoga related for my next thing. And that is I'm taking classes at Santa Monica College. Um, I'm enrolling in a Spanish class and a pottery class. So that's, <gasps> cool. what, that's my next two things that I'm learning. Um, so it's not yoga related, but it is still, you know, that inspires me and that keeps me moving. But this last year, I did two different meditation trainings. I did my um, yoga nidra teacher training with Jana Romer, and she is a magical, spectacular, wonderful woman. She's a close friend of mine here in LA. She just, this girl is like, she, talk about walking the walk. I mean, she's so inspired by magic, and she's all about, all about like other realms and mysticism and a really wonderful woman. If you do want to lead um, or do want to be learning yoga nidra, I would highly recommend reaching out to her. And then I also have a mentor in New York, Johnny Pollard. He founded the One Giant Mind app, and that's a meditation app. It's based in Vedic meditation, but it's also its whole purpose is to make yoga um, access or meditation accessible um, to people and less esoteric, much more digestible and easy to access for free. So Johnny is also a close friend, and he created a digital. Um, training program for meditation. So if you want to learn how to meditate. Um, so I went to New York for about 10 days um, and helped him film all the digital content for that training with a few other people from around the world, Hamza and Claudine from Yoga Beyond and um, Susie, the Susie Q, amazing meditation teacher in Ireland and Josh, um, Josh Blau from Australia, just some really amazing humans were in that training. So that was pretty cool to be involved in. And then not only did we help him create it, but we got to take the training after they launched it. Um, so I kind of did three rounds of <laughs> training this last year. Um, but it's, 
You know, I find that the more that I teach and the deeper I get into this, I want to be doing less and less. I'm, I used to be so aggro. I first moved to LA and I was all about the handstands and the crazy stuff. And now I'm just like, give me the Nidra, give me the Palo Santo, give Mm. me like the astrology. Like I'm so into all of that stuff now. It's magical. It's inspiring. And I'm just slowing way down, way down. Oh, me too. And it's, Gosh, it feels so good to notice that, at least for myself, to just notice myself being more attracted to being slower in my thoughts, being slower in my actions, being slower in my reactions. And I think that comes from a sustained practice of what happens before meditation. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused is they're like, okay, I'm going to meditate. Well, there's, there's not really like just the action of meditating, there's the concentration that comes before it. There's the focus that comes before it that leads into the state of meditation. And for me, that's what I really focus a lot on is the the concentration or the focus and being present. And then when I'm able to do that, then everything else around me just kind of slows down naturally. It's like, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to operate at this like fight or flight pace all the time. I don't have to be constantly like, okay, okay, what's next? Okay. I've got to send an email and then I got to make a phone call and then I got to do this and that. And I got to go do yoga. It's like, whoo, I'm exhausted (laughs) just even thinking about that. And I think that's a natural mellowing out that happens over time when you've been practicing yoga and meditation for a while, but it's also a purposeful uh, mentality too. And gosh, yeah, the, that's one of the things I love about Norway is the pace of life here and the work life balance is Mm. so much more manageable than the U S. Yeah. And I know not everybody has the luxury or the option of moving away and moving to a place where that's just kind of the natural environment. But I think no matter where we live, we can consciously create habits and routines in our life that support slowing down, that support stillness. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, and, and we all have to find that one way or another. Even if you're in Norway and it's slow, you like, you still need your stuff, you know, and that's for our own sanity and our own spiritual practice and our own way of connecting, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's vital for sure. Do you have any practices or routines that you do in the morning to get your day going? So many. The morning is like my sacred time. That's like, don't fuck with my morning time. And if you do, it's like really throws me off. Yeah. Um, I, so I wake up every morning and walk my dog first thing. He's actually snoring on his little cushion next to me right now. Um, (laughs) and then I make a morning matcha. Um, so I've got all of my lotions and potions and stuff and it probably costs like, I don't know, $90 what I put in my matcha, but (laughs) it's like, you know, just my favorite things and it just makes me feel good. And, um, so this is on like an, you know, a work day, like this morning, I'm telling you what happened basically is the dog, the matcha, and then I'll like drop into work mode. I'll check emails. I'll, you know, see what I need to do. Um, I give myself a little bit just to wake up so I can separate my, my sleeping state with my waking state. And once I feel like I'm ready, then I'll sit down and have a med. Um, and I normally meditate for about 20 minutes. Um, just kind of depends, but, and then yeah, I go about my day. I, you know, I teach three days a week, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday are my days to get stuff done. I, you know, I'm on my email quite a lot. I'm planning my mentorships. I'm meeting with mentees. I I met with one of my mentees this morning, um, for an hour and 
you know, getting errands and other things done. I'm also pretty darn active. So like Tuesday, tomorrow, um, I'm waking up at five and going for a swim at 5:45 with the triathlon training group. So I train a couple days a week with them Tuesday, Thursday mornings at 5:45, and then, um, Saturday morning at nine. So after the swim, then I'll take a yoga class immediately after that at seven 30, I do like a back to back thing. Um, so I'm done with my workout by like eight 30 in the morning which is amazing. And then I go have a meditation. And then I, again, just go about my day and get my stuff done until I teach at four and at six on Tuesdays and Thursday evenings. So I, I just like to get up and get, I'm a morning person, you know, so I got to get up, I got to have a matcha and I got to get moving. That's my, my thing. Um, and by like four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm done. My brain is off. So I am not going to be on email. I'm not going to be doing anything like that in the evening. I, I teach my classes and then I'm, you know, I'm an old woman and I'm in bed by like 9.30, mm, me maybe too. 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my happy place. Yeah, sleep is so imperative to being able to function. Totally. Yeah, but beyond that, you know, little things like I have my favorite incense. I love Zen Bunny incense. I'll wake up and light one of those. I have a song that I'm obsessed with that I play every morning. It's like my morning anthem. And I'll put that on. Oh, you know, fun. Just, yeah, little special things that just help help my home to feel special to me and help me to feel like I'm in a good place with my mind. Yeah, and I think it is really important to just find what works for you. Um, you know, if it's a small thing like playing your song or I, one of the things I do every morning is I uh, smudge my house with Palo Santo, mm. but I do it in the same direction every morning. And it's just oh, kind of beautiful. like, yeah, it's really nice. It's just kind of like, uh, it's just the routine that works for me. And then when I'm done, I start in the kitchen, I end in the kitchen and then I'm just, my space feels clean and I'm ready to go on about my day. I love but, that. Yeah. And just finding small things that work for us. And I love it because it's kind of like you have this secret that you hold just in your heart. Like nobody else cares if I... Palo Santo, my house in the same direction every day, <laughs> but I care. And it actually sets my day up so that I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling energized. I'm feeling connected so that when I do dive into the work and the never ending email box, <laughs> I feel a little bit more peaceful. Yeah, exactly. They're your own little secrets, you know, and, and if they help other people, great, but if they're working for you, like amazing. And yeah. I mean, my, my little song is by Guru Singh. Do you know Guru Singh? He's an amazing Kundalini yoga teacher, but, um, I, he has a podcast actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He is just like amazing, incredible guy. And his voice is amazing. And he has this, this song called Ong So Hung, O-N-G-S-O-H-U-N-G. And it goes for like, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes. And it's the most beautiful morning song to put on. It just like, is so uplifting and it's a mantra, you know, and just, is one of my most favorite things. You guys got to listen. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of mantra and chanting and kirtan. It's all, oh, yeah. I mean, again, they're all practices that lead us to meditation. <laughs> yep. Yeah, in one form or another. Yeah, and being focused and being present and the vibrational healing. Um, I've talked a lot on my podcast, but you probably haven't heard this. Um, about two and a half, right before I moved to Norway, um, I went through cancer treatment and I wasn't able to do asana. I wasn't able to do a lot of movement. And so the two things that I did that really helped me heal were my meditation practice, yoga nidra, and my chanting. And so for me, those are just like such special practices 
Mm. Because you really can feel the energy in your body changing more, I think, than asana. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Wow, I didn't know that. So what type of cancer did you have? Do you mind me asking? No, no. It's. I mean, I have a whole podcast episode about it. It's, uh, I'll listen to it. Yeah, synovial sarcoma. Um, so a soft tissue cancer that was in my wrist. Okay, wow. That's an obscure form of cancer. Yeah. 1% of all cancers are sarcomas. And 1% of that 1% is synovial sarcoma. So Wow. So you are unique, girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, won the, I won the lottery I didn't want to win. <laughs> How old were you when you were diagnosed? 34. Okay. Now, my best friend was diagnosed with uh, stage 3C breast cancer at age 33. Ugh. So it had spread to her lymph. Um, oh. but she's now two years out of that. And as you know, she had a single mastectomy. She went through the whole treatment. She's in remission. But it was quite... Uh, you know, she was my, she's my person. So it was, it was quite a shock and quite an experience to go through that with her. But oh. yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're, you're out of that and doing well. Yeah. Thank you. It's, um, got to roll with the punches. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's, you know, sometimes you learn so much from that experience that you're actually, you, you can be grateful for it and happy that you had it. And, you know, it might've shifted something or direction or something in your life, you know? I Absolutely. Know. And I, I actually have said that, that I don't think I would change, change the way that my story went, even if I had the power to. And it's because I think one of the most important lessons for us to spend time in contemplation on is compassion. And compassion, I think, takes so many different forms. And trauma and grief are not unique to one experience or one type of experience. Like every single human experiences these throughout their life in one form or another. And so I think our job as healers, as yoga teachers, is to be able to recognize <laughs> those emotions in other people that we ourselves have experienced and be able to just hold space from a compassionate distance. Be like, hey, yeah. there is a place for you to go and heal and, and that place is yoga. Yeah. If it's, you know, I have to give a caveat here um, because not all yoga is created equal. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. We got some aggro yogis out there. We all know that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think when you, when you find a place that resonates with you and and hopefully a teacher who has been teaching for longer than a year, um, I think there's possibility for a lot of really deep, true healing to occur. Yeah. And no offense to teachers who've only been teaching for a year, but it just, like we said before, like it does take time. It takes years to create and cultivate the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to really be informed and to teach in a way that you're not just regurgitating information and that you really have felt it and you know it and you, you live it. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. That's exactly it. To feel it. It's very hard to teach something unless you yourself have lived it. And, you know, people become teachers because they see that transformation in their life when they're a student, like I think back to myself and the first asana class I took as an adult, um, I took one as a teenager and it did not go well, (laughs) but as an adult, when I took one and it was literally like life changing, I walked out of the first class. I was like, wow, this is what I do now. I do yoga and I haven't looked back since, but if I had started teaching right away, I would have had zero perspective because I hadn't yet allowed the practice and the wisdom to marinate on a more cellular level on a more energetic level yeah you know but it's just like you said like we live in this society where it's just like I want it and I want it now 
that instant gratification. Like I want to have packed classes. I want to be teaching the prime time slots. I want to have a million followers on Instagram. You know, and sometimes that happens like in a rare fluke occasion. Sure. That could happen. And like props to you if that happens, like enjoy it, but you know, don't abuse your power. And if you're going to be teaching people, please be informed and please like know that you are getting in their heads and in their bodies. So like do that in a way that's safe and knowledgeable and stay humble. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, I see it a lot and I'm sure you see it even more than I do in LA, but you know, the moment that our ego gets involved and takes over <laughs> is the moment we become disconnected from the power of the practice. Well, sure. And that's such a challenge. I mean, the ego is always there, you know, and it's keeping that in check. And like, I get reminded of that all the time. And, you know, my ego gets ahead of me sometimes. And I'm like, that was, that was totally a bullshit ego call there, you know, and I feel <laughs> it. And, but we get better as we go and it, it takes time and, you know, we, we'll get there. Yeah. And <laughs> practice, it also, it's not perfect. Exactly. Well, and it comes back to our intention. Like, what are we hoping to get out of a specific circumstance or experience? And, you know, our gut is pretty straight on. If we really ask that question to ourselves and we really listen for the answer, like we know if it's ego driven in a less positive way <laughs> or if it's like, okay, actually, you know what? I am here to be, be of service. And it just so happens that I have packed classes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can feel, you're right. You can feel it. Like we can all intuit that. And you know, there's, there's a balance. There's a balance in like having confidence to stand up in front of a room and to use your voice and to speak. And there's a balance in letting people have their own experience. You know, for instance, when you're talking the entire time as a teacher in your yoga class, you're not giving people to experience it on their own. And when you're telling people how to feel, this is a big pet peeve of mine. When I go to a yoga class and a teacher's like, feel this, that, and the other, I'm like, <laughs> my like ding, ding, ding. I just go off. I get so triggered. I'm like, you know, don't tell people how to feel. Let them have their own experience. This is what it's all about, you know? Oh, Kaylee, I'll tell you what. I'm like rubbing my temples as you're saying this <laughs> because I was, um, I was in Boulder for a few days when I was in the States over my Christmas holiday. And I was there with one of my best friends and she's my soul sister. We do yoga together and we went to this yoga workshop and it was a winter solstice workshop. And it was with this kind of local celebrity teacher and the workshop was packed. It is the only workshop I have ever walked out of in the middle of. And I mean, this was just like three weeks ago, two weeks ago. <laughs> and it was because the teacher did exactly what you said. And it was really upsetting. She did it to both me and my friend really upsetting, like physically putting her hand on our bodies and telling us to feel a certain way, like telling us like, like this Darth Vader breath. <laughs> Why aren't you letting go? Let go like yelling. And I was like, Oh, uh, -uh. I'm out of here. And then I was like, wow. But apparently, you know, there were a lot of really young people in the training or in the workshop and people were crying and having these breakthroughs. So she was touching people like, I mean, not physically, but her, her class was touching people on an emotional level. But for me and my friend, who's also been teaching for 15 years, we were both like, Ooh, she is playing a dangerous game right here. Like she is working with a vulnerable population. She's talking about trauma. She's talking about all these things she shouldn't be talking about. And I was just like, yeah, you know, it's, it happens. It does happen. You know, I, I think we were talking about this, you know, before the call, but like, 
in in the yoga realm in general, there's been this really popular movement of vinyasa. And in the vinyasa realm, there is this idea that you create an experience for your students. It's like the cool hip thing. And, you know, there have been teachers that are little celebrity vinyasa teachers and, you know, maybe partly because they're really good at teaching, but maybe partly because they do create this like experience for people. And, you know, there's a, there's a time and place for all of it. So if there are new yogis that are going to that class and getting something out of it and they're having an emotional release, then who are we to say that that's not right? You know, like right. let, let those people go to that class and let them have that experience. And in a couple years, when they realize that they're, they're learning and going beyond that type of a practice, then they come find us, you know, and that is totally okay. Like, listen, however people get to yoga, great. If they went to Bikram for 10 years and they're just now going to find meditation, okay, whatever. Like, it's all good. And you know, if we can take a step back and like step out of it, it's all good in one way or the other, as long as we're not hurting people, as long as we're not teaching something that's injurious or emotionally harmful, you Mm -hmm. know? So like, that's got to be the bare minimum bar. I, I just hope that instead of, instead of imitation, people can start to innovate and really like learn and apply what they learn and apply what they feel and apply, you know, other, other realms of life. Like in the beginning, yoga is this bubble that everything goes into, right? We become these new baby teachers. We see this yoga bubble and we're like, whoa, I want to put everything in that yoga bubble. I want to bring all these elements in my life and pull it into this bubble. Everything's about yoga. And then one day the bubble pops and we realize, oh, wait a second. Yoga is, is amazing, but it's, it's everything. Like our, our life becomes this different thing. We start to live differently. We interact differently. We're interested in different things. So at first everything's pouring into the yoga bubble and then we just realize, oh, it's way more than that. You know, I can go to a Pilates class and do a movement. I'm like, that's amazing. And I focused on this muscle that yoga doesn't have, but then I can take it and pull it back into my yoga practice and teach it to my students. You know, so we, we, one day we get to this place where we're actually innovating and the bubble pops and we'll get there. We, you know, as teachers, everyone will get there if you, if you really, like I said before, if you have a passion for it and you start to, you start to get wisdom instead of just knowledge. Right. Well, and also hopefully this is one thing I try really hard to emphasize in my teacher trainings is critical thinking and asking questions and uh, bringing in more of this analytical viewpoint. Where are we getting our information from? Can we trust the source? Where did our source get the information from? And mm-hmm. is it is it valid for me in my experience of being in this body? Whatever that is for whichever student. Because right. I think there has been so much of this party line that's been fed through, you know, the different lineages that we see in the modern yoga landscape. And it, I think it's really important to tell our students that it's okay to question your teachers. And in fact, most spiritual traditions encourage that. If you're not asking questions, if you're not trying to think about and unravel, like, okay, well, does this make sense? Does this seem valid? Does this jive? Then you're just basically drinking the Kool-Aid. And okay, sure, this is why we have such a problem (laughs) that we do right now um, in our yoga community with this, the, the guru mentality and just blindly trusting whatever the guru says and not having any of that questioning. And I think that's one thing that we as teachers can really help our students with as they develop and evolve through the process of studentship. Absolutely. Yeah, I I love that. And yes, that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head for sure. But I don't think every teacher is doing that. 
because of the culture of celebrity, unfortunately. It's easier to just try and have, you know, the spiritual bypassing where, oh, life is all rainbows and butterflies. Everything happens for a reason. reason. Hashtag mm-hmm. so blessed. It's like, okay, well, actually, a spiritual practice is gritty. And there are some dark corners that have to be investigated. And this is where the contemplation and self-inquiry comes into play. Like, we're not just right. beings of light. We are. But we are also <laughs> beings of darkness. And well, yeah, go ahead. I think yes, and in that vein, as as a as we do have light and dark, we all have that dichotomy. But in that vein, like I'm reminded time and time again, if I sit here and I brood over it, if I think about all the people I know on Instagram who are just posting pictures and not actually teaching, or got famous on Instagram and are offered teaching gigs for that fame and don't actually know how to teach a proper class, whatever it is, I can get so frustrated. And at the end of the day, it all comes back to you. And what you're committing to teaching and learning yourself. You can only control yourself. You can only control what you're putting out there. And when you start to put stuff out there that's quality, people will respond to it. And this is how my mentorship was created. And this is why now I get to work with amazing, awesome, inspiring, motivated humans who want to be doing a better job. And so we just have to keep embracing the light and the dark in each of us. We have to keep learning. We have to keep growing. And we have to stop just, we can't think about what other people are doing too much. You know, we get derailed and then we, it is frustrating and that's fine. We can't control it and it is what it is. So just, you know, like you're doing it, you're walking your path. I see like all the stuff that you've created in Norway is amazing. You're leading yoga nidra trainings and yeah, like you're on the forefront of that, which is incredible. And that's what we need more of. You know, we need more people just walking the walk. Oh, I so agree. And I think that's such a good reminder too, that it's all we, well, quote unquote can control is our, because control is an illusion anyways, is ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, more specifically, our reaction to our experiences. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, that, that is what I try to do because I have driven myself crazy in the past too, where I've missed <laughs> opportunities for, you know, parts of my career. And I'm like kicking myself like, oh, why didn't I follow up with that? Or, oh, why wasn't I in the right place at the right time? And at the end of the day, all we can do is put one foot in front of the other. And when you're called to this path and you're called to do this work, yeah, we can't get distracted by the other things going on or the other people. And, you know, you and I were talking before we recorded also where I think supporting other teachers who you think are on the path with you is really important. Extending that helping hand and being like, hey, what can I do? How can I support you? Rather than bringing in that spirit of competition and being like, ah, no, more for me, less for you. And I think that's when we start to feel a shift in our personal experience. Mm -hmm. Like, I would so much rather give it away in terms of with people who I think are doing the same things than try to hoard it for myself. And I'm talking about energy and opportunity. But not everybody feels that way. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting conundrum when we're bringing in this intersection of spiritual practice and commerce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and that's some, one of the things I'm really finding about this mentorship program that is going now for me is it's so rewarding. I didn't realize how rewarding it would be. Like, you know, when my first mentee came to me and she's like, can you mentor me? Here's what I need. X, Y, and Z. I was like, okay, I can do X, Y, and Z. Let's try this. You know, and as we've gone, like to see her grow and succeed in the way she has, like, holy shit. Like, it's mind blowing that 
she's done how much she's done in such a short amount of time. And it's also just so fulfilling to know that someone out there really cares about her growth and her development and is investing the time and the money to make herself the best that she can be. And that I, that I actually have the knowledge and the wisdom to help her do that feels so good. Like, wow, I finally get to see benefits paying off, not only for me personally here, but with her now. And, and she's passing the buck forward and she's now doing that on her end. You know, it's just, it's a trickle down effect and it's so exciting and it's just so fulfilling. Right. Well, and also that's kind of the antidote to what we were talking about before. Like if people are new teachers and newer teachers and they're getting dogged on by other people because they're, you know, have these really high unrealistic expectations for their career right out of the gate. Well, we don't know what we don't know. And so if those newer teachers are just kind of like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do now? Well, mentorship is one of the answers where more senior teachers can help guide them and and answer their questions and support them as they try to create a sustainable career path for themselves. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I also offer a mentor program and there is something so special about working one-on-one individually with a student and a teacher to be like, okay, I'm 100% present for you. What can we do to help you? And it's just like, wow, okay, I wasn't offered that. I don't know if you were. I didn't have mentorships until later in my career. Um, But as a newer teacher, it's like amazing. And it's such a different aspect instead of being like closing the door and being like, figure it out yourself. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So as we kind of wind down our talk together, I just want to touch back on you know, we talked about yoga nidra briefly. Um, it's totally one of my passions and one of yours also. What other kinds of meditation do you like to do? Well, I so I recently been practicing meditation, and I, I started an Instagram account for this. And what my intention here is to do is to bring this to other people in my community and see how other people practice their morning meditation. So meditation for me started off as, okay, my alarm would go off and I'd always snooze it. And then I'd get laid and then I wouldn't have my morning med. And it was this whole trickle down effect of not starting the day that way that I wanted to. And so what I started doing for a long time in order to just get me on a regular meditation schedule was when I pushed my snooze button, I would roll up in bed and that was my meditation time. I would stay in my bed, close my eyes, sit up and meditate for whatever amount of time my snooze was set. And so that was a big practice for me for a long time. And so I want to start promoting this. This is kind of how I got to a regular meditation practice was this meditation. So what I want to do is now go to other people's homes and see how they meditate, see what their morning meditation rituals are, um, down to like the pajamas they're wearing, the bedding that they're <laughs> sleeping in, you know, do they sit up on a cushion? Do they sit up in bed? Do they light in? What is it, you know, and, and just kind of have a, a cushion crawl here of sorts. Um, so this is something I'm really excited about, but other meditation practices I do is I use a mantra. Most of the time I do a lot of Vedic uh, meditation and I've sat Vipassana. So sometimes I bring in elements of, you know, Vipassana meditation, which is simply witnessing techniques, you know, whereas Vedic meditation is, is a, is more of a base level meditation. I think you have to establish before moving to other types of techniques like Vipassana, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we connect into being first. It's a being technique. And that's the most foundational type of meditation. I think if you're going to start anywhere, you should do that first. And then do the other techniques like the witnessing techniques of Vipassana or the connecting techniques of, you know, heart-centered meditations or partner meditations and things like that. Um, 
but there's so many, there's so many beautiful meditation practices. Oh, sorry about that. Um, that are available to us. And, you know, I have a lot of free content online digitally too. If anyone needs guidance, I've got free stuff on YouTube and through Aloe Yoga's, um, Aloe Moves platform. I just launched a brain food program with them and, um, you know, different strokes for different folks. Some days you're going to need a guided meditation and someone walking you through other days. You just got to sit and listen to your breath, you know, listen to what your body needs. And it's a good, good metric. Yeah. What do you think are some good tips for somebody who wants to start a meditation practice? I think start small. Um, you need to be comfortable as well. You know, people have this idea that they should sit erect with their hands in a mudra mm-hmm. without any anything to support their back in lotus position. And that's how you're going to meditate. It's not true. So start small, five minutes, and then be comfortable. Lean up against a wall, sit on a cushion. You don't have to have your hands in a mudra. Just put them in your lap. Close your eyes and listen to your breath. Like if that's if that's all you can do, great. Just focus on the breath coming in and out of the nostrils, how that feels. And, you know, no Darth Vader breathing. You don't control anything. It's not about control meditation. It's about observing and becoming aware. So the, that's, you know, the base, the base level, I would say. Effortlessness, be comfortable and start small. Keep it simple. Mm, keep it simple. Best words of advice ever. <laughs> <laughs> We're so good at overcomplicating. Oh, yeah, always. <laughs> mm. So I have one final question, Kaylee, before we say adios. And um, it's a question that I like to ask people, especially meditation teachers. So this kind of is the the crux of what one sacred pause is and the whole point of why I created this podcast and this passion project to have these conversations. And the question is, if you could get still enough and quiet enough to listen to the wisdom within, who or what would you be? Mm. (laughs) Well, I hope I'd be right where I am. Mm. Um, (laughs) I mean, I'd like to think that I, I'm able to get still enough and quiet enough to, to listen to where I'd be or who I'd be. And I think that that's me. I'm pretty sure that this is where I am because of that. Um, and you know, otherwise I think if I got still enough and quiet enough, I would just dissolve into that. Mm -hmm. I, I had that experience when I was in Vipassana, in fact, like that complete absorption into that space. And I never wanted to leave. So if I could really tap into that, I would be there. I wouldn't be anyone else or anything else. I would just be in that realm. I would be out of this body. I'd be, you know, a genie out of the bottle and, you know, in that beautiful absorption space. Oh. I don't know. There's so much to learn. There's so much to do. There's so many different perspectives on life and, you know, interesting people out there. But at the end of the day, like, I'm happy with me. I'm happy with my life. And I just want to keep learning and seeing what I can accomplish and tap into. Hmm. Great answer. Yeah, it's it's so cool like to ask that question and and there's so many different responses to it. Some of them are very esoteric and some of them you're not the first person to answer uh that you'd be exactly where you are. And I find that so interesting and so cool and I think that's a real indicator that you're doing the practice and you're walking the talk. That's super cool. I love it. Thank you. Well, Kaylee, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your insights and 
tips and story. Um, it was just such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I feel like I could just chat all day with you. <laughs> I know. I know. Very fun. Well, season three, maybe we'll have a repeat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, have a great day. Thanks, Jessica. You too. All right. Bye-bye.